And so again, the title of the Bible study this third and final week is Faith's Examples, Its Power on Display. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be encouraged to walk by faith and not by sight. Many folks want to do what's sensible. And Lord, when we do what's sensible, we're doing what makes uh, what works according to our five senses. And Lord, we're not doing what... Uh, the Bible commands us to do. So help strengthen all of, our, all of our faith in here tonight. Help us to be encouraged and challenged by the examples we'll study in Scripture. And Lord, um, may we walk by faith and not by sight. And may we please you with our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, on the back of your bulletin there, you'll notice that we've already covered the first five points. And so let's just quickly review those. We've seen that faith subdued kingdoms. We've seen that faith wrought righteousness. Uh, Faith obtained promises. We've looked at faith stopped the mouth of lions. And we looked at four examples in the Bible where someone was able to kill a lion with their bare hands. Uh, We looked at uh, the fifth fifth point was faith quenched the violence of fire. And that's where we left off. We're talking about the three, boy, three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as they're known by the Hebrew names, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, how that they stepped up and uh, were, were, uh, were thrown in the fire, and they said, our God is able, but even if our God doesn't stop uh, the fire from killing us, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow. And so uh, that takes us to the sixth uh, example here, or the sixth um, uh, item listed here in Hebrews chapter 11. Notice number six, faith escaped the edge of the sword. Faith escaped the edge of the sword. Look at verse number 34 with me. It says in Hebrews 11, quench the violence of fire. And again, these are all acts of faith. Faith escaped the edge of the sword. So I have for you, and I'm sure there's many others we could list, but I have for you three examples from the Old Testament where uh, men were able to escape death or escape uh, a, a, a violent weapon that was raised against them because of their faith. And so notice the first example we find in Judges chapter 12 is Jephthah. Jephthah. Now we highlighted Jephthah a while back when we talked about how he made the foolish decision. Uh, he lacked common sense. If you remember back to where we talked about uh, faith works even for those who aren't real smart or those that are flawed, rather. And we said that Jephthah had, had, had said, Lord, thank you for allowing me to win the battle. I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door. And the first thing that came out of his door was his daughter. And uh, she went and bemoaned her virginity. And then he did end up sacrificing her because he had made a vow to God. But God was not done with Jephthah. And so uh, turn over to Judges chapter 12. And uh, verse number 1. And hold your place in Hebrews 11. We'll be uh, going back and forth between Hebrews 11 and several places in the Old Testament here. Uh, But notice here what the Bible has to say about Jephthah. Uh, Look at verse number 1 of Judges chapter number 12. The Bible says, In the men of Ephraim. The men of Ephraim. Who were the Ephraimites? They were part of the 
Israeli tribes. Ephraim was one of the twelve tribes of Israel. So uh, Jephthah is an Israelite, and the Ephraimites are going to raise up against him. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thy house unto thee with fire." And look at Jephthah's response. Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon, and when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands, and when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my own hands, or in my hands, and passed over against the children of Ammon, and look here, and the Lord delivered them into my hands, wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? And you can go on later and read the rest of the passage, he ends up having to deal with a civil war between his people, his tribe in Israel, and the Ephraimites. And they are able to bring into subjection and squell this uprising of the Ephraimites. But what is he saying? He's saying that the Ammonites rose up against us and they were threatening me with a sword to kill me. And I called on you Ephraimites to help me and you were nowhere to be found. So I had to turn to the Lord and the Lord delivered me. Notice that when things got tough, he did not turn to the Lord first. He turned to his fellow man. But when his fellow man failed him, he turned to the Lord and the Lord delivered him. By faith, he escaped the edge of the sword. Let me give you another example here. Notice David. David, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter number 18. 1 Samuel chapter number 18. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter number 17, we find the story of David defeating Goliath. And we looked at that, I believe uh, it was last or two weeks ago, or I guess it had been three weeks ago now. We looked at the story of David and uh, Goliath and how David had defeated the lion and, and uh, beat him uh, with his own two hands to protect uh, the sheep there. Now, in chapter 18, David has been put in charge of the military. And uh, David has come home from winning great wars. And uh, we know that the women would stand in the balcony as David came back into town on his chariot with the soldiers. And the, um, uh, they would stand there in the balconies, the women would, and they would say, Saul had slain his thousands, but David, what? His tens of thousands. And uh, boy, Saul began to get jealous. Saul was the king. He was the leader. David was the new guy in town. And uh, the new guy in town oftentimes is more loved than the guy that everyone's grown used to. And such was the case here. And boy, Saul began to become very jealous. And we see here that an evil spirit even is settled upon Saul. And David has been called in to play his harp to settle or soothe the conscience of King Saul. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, And it came to pass... On the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand at other, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. So, again, let me set the stage here. Saul is angry. Saul is upset. The spirit of the Lord has departed. There's an angry spirit that is settled on Saul. He's a wrathful man. And the only way they could calm him was by bringing someone in who is excellent with a harp and playing a soothing 
song. I know sometimes at night I, I may have a hard time going to sleep. I've got a lot going on in my heart and in my mind. I'm burdened about uh, things going on in my life and I'll lay there and I'll pray 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 and, and I still can't fall asleep and so then I'll take my phone and I'll pull up some really relaxing, soothing, harp-type music and I'll let that play at a low level. How many of you have ever used music to help put you to sleep or to calm you down when you were struggling? And, you know, that is exactly what was happening here. But, but the problem wasn't the harp. The problem was the man playing the harp. Because the man playing the harp represented his problem. Look at verse number 11 here. It says, And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it, and David avoided out of his presence twice. Boy, Saul was so angry at David that he picked up his javelin he had right next to him and he threw it at David, trying to pin him to the wall with it. Now, um, David must have left the first time thinking, this guy is a nut. I don't know why he went back in the second time, but he did. And he was able to avoid being speared to the wall twice. By faith, uh, they escaped the edge of the sword. Let me give you one more example. Notice Elijah. Elijah. You're in 1 Samuel. Turn over three books to the right, or two books rather to the right, and go to 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter number 19. And look at verse number 1. Whoever said that the Bible is a boring book has not read the Old Testament. Boy, it's filled with all kinds of stories that are fascinating and interesting. And we see here that these men were not great, and even these women were not great uh, because of who they were. They were great because of the faith in the God, uh, the God and the faith they had in that God. Look at verse number 1 of 1 Kings chapter number 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So, to back up a little bit, there was a showdown on Mount Carmel. Is it caramel or caramel? Caramel or caramel? Caramel. Is it caramel? I, I don't know. I, yeah, I grew up in different parts of the country, and so I'm not sure which one says caramel and which one says caramel. But anyway, they had a showdown on Mount. Don't let me get distracted by, about chocolate. Amen. They got distracted up on this mount, and, or rather got up on this mount, and there was a showdown, and it was the prophets of Baal. Uh, and Asheroth versus the prophet of God, Elijah. So you have 850 prophets against one. And they set up their altar and put their bullock. And Elijah has his altar with his bullock. And the contest is to see which group can call fire down out of heaven. And so all day long these prophets dance around this altar and are not successful. And then Elijah prays a prayer of about 30 to 40 words. And a ball of fire drops out of heaven and Boom! Not only the sacrifice is gone, but the water in the trough that had been poured on the sacrifice is licked up, and even the stones are annihilated and gone. There was no question that God had sent that fire. And the people gather around these prophets, and Elijah takes a sword, and he kills 
by, by the command of God, every single false prophet in the country, he's trying to wipe out the false religion of the people, and so they will serve the one true God. The one line you get from First Kings chapter number, uh, I believe it's chapter 17 there, the one line you get is where Elijah looks at the people and says, how long halt ye between two opinions? How long are you going to go back and forth between serving God and then serving these false gods you need to pick? So, you know, Elijah's exhausted. Not only that, he also went up on top of a mountain and he begins to pray that God would send rain and a famine would come to an end, and, or rather a drought would come to an end and it hadn't rained in over three years. And God, uh, God sends a, a deluge, a rainstorm, and Elijah runs all the way from Mount Carmel all the way back into Samaria and so now he's spiritually exhausted. He's mentally exhausted. This might be the point somebody needs tonight. I hope you're listening. He's emotionally exhausted. He's physically exhausted. And the next morning, Elijah's empty. I mean, he's empty. And little old Jezebel, the queen, sends a servant down to say to him, I heard what happened and if you're not dead by tomorrow, I hope the gods will do to me what you did to those prophets. Now, Elijah, you just saw 850 men killed, and you're going to run from a woman? You say, well, why did he run from the woman? Because she was one powerful woman. Jezebel had, uh, had many, many people killed. Jezebel was running uh, quite the criminal ring as a queen. And so what does he do? He runs and he runs and he runs and he runs till he collapses down under a juniper tree and he says, Lord, kill me. Lord, kill me. Now what I think is unfair for Sunday school teachers to do, so if you're in here and you're, you teach children in a Sunday school class and you tell stories like this, let me just encourage you if I could here. Uh, don't be too critical of Elijah in this situation. You know, um, should have he asked God to kill him? No. But how many of you here have ever been so uh, exhausted that you've lost perspective? Amen? I have. I've been so empty, I've lost perspective. And that's what happened to Elijah here. But he turned to the Lord, and by faith, he escaped the edge of the sword. So we see here that faith causes us to, at times, faith can cause us to escape danger, to escape the edge of the sword. Notice number seven, faith took weakness and made strength. Faith took weakness and made strength. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11 with me and look at verse number 34. Again, the Bible says there, quenched the violence of fire, speaking of faith, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Out of weakness were made strong. Uh, turn over to Judges chapter 16 with me, if you will, and let's notice the example of Samson, the example of Samson. We've looked at Samson again uh, as we've gone through this chapter, and we've talked about his weaknesses, how he had a, a weakness with, with lust and with women, and loose women in particular, and um, uh, he, he had his struggles. Can I say this to all of us this evening, is that sometimes our faith seems so weak that it may almost feel like it's not there. We wonder if... We wonder if how we could have been saved this long and still lack faith the way we do. How many of you here in a private moment ever been embarrassed at how small your faith is? Right? 
How could have I been saved this long but still lack this much faith in God? And you know, it's in those moments of weakness that God wants to step up and show himself strong. You know, I heard someone define faith one time this way. They said, faith is both believing and doubting at the same time and then choosing to believe and, 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 and walk away from the doubt. I've been there where in a situation I, I have a seed of doubt. Sometimes I even have a lot of doubt and I don't have a lot of faith. And I tremble and I worry. And you know what? It's okay to feel the emotion of doubt. It's not okay to rest on doubt. Even while you're doubting and you're, you're wondering how you're going to make it, you still have to press forward trusting God and saying, God, I don't know how. And my emotions are telling me I won't, but I still do believe in you. And, you know, sometimes we make mistakes. I can remember when uh, we were out of money. Uh, Angela and I had only been married a couple of years, and we were totally out of money. And I shared the story about how we got the call from the uh, church to come and preach. It was the first time I'd ever been invited to preach out, and the Lord sent us just enough money to pay our bills. Can I tell you, uh, before that had happened, before I got that call, I was really beating myself up. Here's what I was saying to myself. You know, if you hadn't spent money taking your wife out to eat, if you hadn't spent money on clothes, and if you had been a little bit more careful with your money, you would have the money you needed to be able to pay the rent. And why would God send money your way when you haven't been as thrifty and frugal as you could have been and should have been? And listen, it's, it's good to be thrifty and frugal, and it's good to, uh, uh, to, 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 to sock some money away for a hard time. But I was really beating myself up. You know, I'll tell you what I found is that God took my shortcomings in that area and because I walked by faith and not by sight, he still made up the difference. We find something similar here with Samson. Samson had made a mess of his life. He got involved with a woman named Delilah. And uh, by the way, and you meet a woman named Delilah, stay away. Amen. What a name. You get Jezebel and Delilah. Don't Boys don't ever date a girl named Jezebel or Delilah, amen? And so he's with a girl named Delilah, and he ends up getting his head shaved by her, and they come in and they capture him because he's lost his strength. They pluck his eyeballs out. Wow. And then they call a big um, show together. They probably sold tickets to it. They fill up this outdoor amphitheater, and they bring Samson out, and they're making fun of him. It's just a big show to make fun of him. But what they didn't realize is that Samson's hair was starting to grow back, and not only was his hair growing back, his faith was growing back. Look at verse 28 of Judges 16. Here we see a very weak man named Samson. The Bible says, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines, for my two eyes. You know what he didn't do? He didn't just reach up and fill the length of his hair and say, Oh, I got it now. No, he, he bowed his head and he said, Lord, my faith is in you. You give me my strength. Look at 29. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house or the amphitheater stood and on uh, which it was uh, uh, borne up of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the Lord's. 
and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And so uh, we see here that Samson's faith, God took his weakness and he made it into a strength. Uh, Listen, God wants to take your weaknesses and turn them into a strength. Everybody take just a moment, right where you are, and think about this here. What is your greatest insecurity? What is it? Don't say it out loud. See, you couldn't make me say it out loud, Pastor. What is your greatest insecurity? Can you have faith that God could do something great through that weakness? Oh, I could never be a public speaker, someone might say. What if God wanted to take that weakness and make it into a strength? Amen? You say, oh, I could never, ever work the nursery. I'm scared to death of babies. What if God wants to take that weakness and turn it into a strength? I could never greet someone in the lobby and get them into the auditorium and befriend them. I'm scared to death of people. What if God wants to take that weakness and turn it into a strength? You see that faith takes weaknesses and makes them strengths. Notice next, Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 38. So if you're in Judges, you've got a ways to go to the right there. Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah Chapter number 38. Isaiah lived, he was a prophet during, uh, during King Hezekiah's reign. And Hezekiah was a king in the southern kingdom. Uh, he was a descendant of David. And he was a good king. Uh, not a perfect king, but a pretty good one. And we find here that Hezekiah is going to be declared as sick and on his way to die. Look at chapter 38 and look at verse number 1. It says, Isaiah, again, the book of Isaiah. It says there, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. Wow! Imagine that you got really sick this week. I mean really sick this week. And let's say that I came to your house. and Or maybe I went to the hospital. If I could somehow get into a hospital. I snuck into a hospital. And I walked into your hospital room as God's man. And I just walked in your room and I looked at you. Let's say it was Brother Greer here. He's laying in the hospital bed. He's got an oxygen mask on. He's struggling to breathe. And I walk in and I say, Brother Greer, put your house in order. You're going to die and you're not going to live. And I turned around and I walked out. And that was the whole thing. Yeah, that would be a little unnerving, wouldn't it? If the pastor walked in and said, God told me to tell you, you're going to die. Now, God doesn't work that way anymore, but He did back then. Amen? Look at verse number 3. And said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth, 
and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign unto thee uh, from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he hath spoken. Now, this is incredible. Look at verse 8. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down in the sun dial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees, by which degree it was gone down. And my understanding is that God moved the clock backwards 15 minutes. Wow. So uh, Isaiah walks in and says, put your house in order or you're going to die. He turns around and walks out. He's barely out of the courtyard of the, of the uh, palace there where the king lived. And God says to Isaiah, he says, listen, while, while in, in this time Hezekiah has called out to me and I've heard his prayer. Go back and tell him I'm going to give him 15 more years to live. And so he goes back in and he says, okay, all right, I changed my mind. Uh, God changed his mind rather. You're going to have 15 years to live. And here's how he's going to show you that you have 15 years to live. That sundial down there in the courtyard, God's going to move the clock backwards 10 degrees. Do you understand what had to happen? That means that the earth that rotates around the sun had to come to a stop and move backwards without everything flying off. That's incredible. That's incredible. We serve a God who, can, uh, who, who doesn't have to abide by the laws of science. He can do whatever He wants. God took the weakness of Hezekiah and in that moment of weakness... He turned to God, and by faith, God gave him 15 more years to live. Uh, as a pastor, I watch as people ask God why. I, at times in my life, I have said to God, why? Why are you letting this happen to me? Why this struggle? I, I've gone through enough hardships. I've gone through enough hurts, God. Why? And why? And why? And it's in those times where we're hurting. It's in those times where we're struggling, where we turn to God, and by faith we call out to Him, and we can see God do some great things. Is there a weakness in your life today? Is there a hurt in your life? Is there a moment, reason for you to bow your head or in a private moment to shed a tear or to have fear? I would say to you that follow Hezekiah's example and turn your face toward the wall and cry out to the Lord. So we see here that faith escaped the edge of the sword. Faith took weakness and made strength. Number eight, notice faith waxed valiant in fight. Go back to verse number 34 of Hebrews chapter Number 11. Again, we're looking at all of the things that were accomplished by faith. Uh, many people have said that faith is just some theory and faith is some uh, higher learning or faith is some, something we explain in the classroom. No, faith is something that we live. Faith is action. And Hebrews 11, is uh, this part, especially of Hebrews 11, is making that point. Look back at 34. Quench the violence of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Notice here, waxed, valiant, and fight. Waxed, valiant, and fight. You can write down next to that, courageous, courageous. Turn over to uh, Judges chapter 4 and look at verse number 14. Judges Chapter 4. Now, it's, this is important uh, to point out because, again, uh, many of these folks in Judges get a bad rap. Jeph Jephthah gets a bad rap for his decision. Samson gets a bad rap because, again, he was a womanizer. 
And uh, Jephthah, or rather, Barak gets a bad rap because he was sort of a mama's boy and needed Deborah to go with him to war. Uh, but uh, it's important to understand that God uh, was able to take Barak and lead him to a place of valiancy and uh, a man of great courage. Look at verse number 14 and verse number 15. The Bible says, And Deborah said unto Barak, um, uh, up for this day is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor, Tabor and 10,000 men after him, and the Lord discomforted Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. Boy, it took... Uh, Barak a little bit to get going. It took him a little bit to get moving. It was a struggle for him. Uh, there was a doubt there. There was a, I don't think I can do it spirit there. Deborah, I need you to come along with me. I can't do it on my own. But as he got up and as he got going, boy, his courage grew and he stood up and he waxed Valiantly, He fought valiantly. And i got to say today, Christian, that we need men and women in 2020 who will know what they believe, have a backbone about what they believe, they'll stand for what they believe uh, in the face of the culture, in the face of criticism, in the face of family and friends and co-workers who don't like it. We're going to stand up for what we believe and we're going to fight for what is right. And we can only do that by faith. We can only do that by faith. Because as soon as we start doing it through the flesh, it's only a matter of time before we walk off the battlefield and we quit. We must wax valiant and fight. We must be like Barak. We must believe that our God is greater. Our God is greater than any enemy. Our God is greater than our flesh. I think of Ephesians chapter 6 where we're told to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You say, Pastor, how does this apply practically? Some of you will go home this evening and you'll walk into a dysfunctional situation at home with a mom or a dad or a spouse or an adult child who does not want to do what's right and they want to fight you. They want to fight you. They, they want you to compromise and give in and they'll claim you're intolerant and you're just a, a religious nut and radical. No, we, we're not religious radicals. We're men and women of faith who stand up for what's right. And that doesn't mean we're jerks. That doesn't mean that we're mean and we're uncouth and we're unkind. Uh, we know uh, how to show etiquette and care and there's a maturity about us. But at the same time, we, we're not going to back down. We're going to stand for what is right. I see many Christians who just don't have much of a backbone. They don't have much of a backbone. Boy, they're up one day and down the next. And really what it comes down to is they just lack consistency. They lack consistency. They're, uh, they're on fire for God one month, and then they're, uh, they're, they've slipped back into the world the next month. And boy, we need some men and women who will stand up and fight for what's right. Number nine, next notice, faith fought against alien armies. Faith fought against alien armies. And you think, does that mean there were UFOs that came down out of the sky, right? Were there um, otherworldly that were running around being fought? No, that's not what that means. I, I chose that wording because the Bible chooses that wording. Look at verse number 34 again. Hebrews chapter 11. Quench the violence of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Wax valiant, uh, valiant in fight. And then here, turn to fight the armies of the aliens. 
Turn to fight the armies of the aliens. Just a, a quick uh, point of humor here. Um, when we were going through the process uh, for my wife's citizenship, we began by getting her a green card and then um, uh, her citizenship behind that. And uh, they, they would refer to her in, early on in the process as an alien, as an alien, because she is not from, she was not born in the U.S., so she would be an alien. I'd say, I knew I married an alien. I knew you were weird. I knew there was something off about you. Amen? And so when it's talking about an alien here, it's not talking about otherworldly. It's talking about someone who does not live within the boundaries of that country. And so uh, someone who is a, from another culture and someone who would even be coming in and invading that culture. Turn over to Judges chapter 7 and, and let's look at the person of Gideon. Uh, Gideon here. And, and again, we're kind of reviewing some of the characters we've already looked at, but we're trying to take this verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, and we want to make sure we leave no stone unturned. Look at verse number 21 of Judges chapter 7. And, and again, before we read the verse, to give context here, uh, they've sent all of the men home who were afraid, who didn't want to wax valiant and fight. Uh, they've sent all the sensible men home who brought the water up to their mouth. He's kept the 300 men that laid on their stomachs and lapped up the water like a dog, right? So he's got the lunatics and he's broken them up into uh, groups of 100 and he's positioned them around this large army that's not even uh, uh, numerable or countable. And um, he's given them three things. He's given them a torch. He's given them a, a clay pitcher and he's given them a trumpet. And they're supposed to cover the torch with the clay pitcher. They're supposed to blow the trumpet and shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. They're to break the clay pitcher in unison. And the fire is supposed to give the illusion that the army is surrounded and that the army is, is outnumbered. And so uh, they, uh, they, they, they come up with this plan. And, and so look with me at verse number 21. It says, And they stood, every man in his place, round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. Boy, I'd encourage you to go back and read Judges 7 later. Earlier in the chapter, Gideon sneaks down into the camp, and he stands outside of a tent, and he listens to a conversation between two of the soldiers, and one shares a dream that the that the one shares a dream that he had about how they were all going to be killing each other that night, and and Gideon leaves knowing that hey, you know this is the uh, uh, the Lord really is working with us, and so they were he was willing to stand there and go forward with this plan, and what happened? These these this this. This army from a foreign army from another land, this alien army, was defeated. Not because Gideon was some military genius. Please notice this here. Gideon didn't win. Gideon wasn't some great man because Gideon was uh, some tactical warrior. Gideon was a great man because Gideon was a man of great faith. Of great faith. God is looking for men and women of faith. I don't mean to beat a dead horse. I don't mean to keep hitting the same drum over and over and over again. But Hebrews 11 goes on and on and on and talks about faith. I find it interesting that on Sunday morning and Sunday evening we, this year, we've been looking at love. And then on Sunday, or rather Wednesday evenings, for most of the year, we've been talking about Faith. We've been talking about faith. You know, Christians, if you can learn how to love and you can learn how to walk by faith, you're going to be a pretty advanced Christian. 
you're really going to get this down. So uh, there are going to be uh, so the, look, a quick application here, and we'll move on to the last point here, which is the most sensational of the ten. A quick application here is that there are ideologies, there are ideologies that are foreign to the Christian. We are being bombarded by them all day, every day. Some of them are obvious, right? I don't mean to dip into politics. I'll be careful here. But we have Marxism and communism being ramrodded down our throats right now. Those ideas are anti-Bible. Those ideas are anti-religion and anti-God. Do you understand that a communist and a Marxist would ban what we have right now? You can't find a communist country where they have freedom of religion. This Black Lives Matter movement, I'll just say this here, I, I wouldn't say this on a Sunday morning, but I'll say it to a smaller audience. Black lives do matter. They do matter. But the organization is against the nuclear family. They say so on their own website. I'm sorry, but God created the family. The white man did not create the family. God created the family. And an organization that wants to oppress and put down the male role in a home, an organization that wants to oppress and put down the idea of a nuclear family, that's not an organization that I'll stand behind. And that's not an organization that Christians stand, should stand behind. The disgusting thing about an organization like Black Lives Matter is that it was founded and started by a bunch of rich white men who are using black people to try to push their radical Marxist causes on America. And as Christians, we need to make sure that we don't allow racism anywhere around us. Boy, if you've got a racial bone in your body, if you've got a problem with someone because of the color of skin, you have a sin problem in your heart. But boy, we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And we don't need to let some ancient, or rather some alien uh, uh, philosophy to the Christian faith seep into our culture and our world and hurt us. We need to stand together for what's right. Some of these are more obvious. Some of these are not so obvious. Let me talk to everyone directly here about where I believe Satan has duped the church. Folks, we're far too comfortable. We're far too comfortable. I look at Christians and they're afraid to get out of their comfort zone. Hey, what if God called you to move out of the house you live in and live in a really, really tiny, small house? I'm not talking about one of those little houses on TV that's cute. I'm just talking about the bare basics in life. What if God wanted you to sell your luxury car and just drive a a, a simple car? What if God wanted you to have simple clothes and to take all of your money and use that for the cause of Christ? What if God called you out of a life of luxury and called you to be a preacher of the gospel? And I'm talking to the women as well. God can use women to be a preacher of the gospel. In America, we have this idea that I need, I need, I need. And we think that we need comfort. And oh, how Satan has sold a bill of lies to the church. 
Boy, as a pastor, I stand up here and I push and I prod and I press and I do my best to compel men and women to get off uh, their blessed assurance and do something for God. But they won't. Because they're too busy being comfortable. And comfortable is the enemy of Christ-likeness. Can you tell me where comfort fits in the idea of bearing your cross? Jesus said, if any man be my disciple, let him pick up his cross and follow me. Boy, we we look for the most comfortable cross we can find to carry. But the last time I checked, the Via Dolorosa, the walk of pain through Jerusalem, there's nothing comfortable about that. In fact, it was so uncomfortable that the divine, all-powerful God was crippled beneath the weight of that cross. We're too comfortable as Christians. How can we claim we walk by faith when we're so concerned with just having the best in life? And there's nothing wrong with having nice things. I don't want anybody to walk out of here and say, Pastor Lejeune saying it's a sin to drive a nice car or live in a nice house. I drive a pretty nice car and I live in a pretty nice house. But if God called me to sell my house and move into a simple home and God called me to drive a clunker, boy, if I'm not willing to do that, then that, that shows that I'm more in love with comfortable than being Christ-like. If I don't have time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's going to push me out of my comfort zone, then, my friend, I have allowed Satan to allow a philosophy that's, 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 that's apostate to seep into my heart and pull me away from doing what's right. Boy, Paul said this. He said, for me to live is Christ. You know what that means? That means every moment I breathe air in and out of my lungs... It's about one thing and one thing only, the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ. I'm not here for me, I'm here for Him. I'm not a servant to money, I'm a servant to God. I'm not a servant to success, but as the world defines it, I'm a servant to God and how He defines success. Uh, Boy, it takes faith to stand up to these alien armies of philosophy and say, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm not going to walk by what everyone else does and what... It's comfortable. I'm not going to walk by sight. Let's look lastly at number 10. Faith brought children back to life. How powerful is faith? Boy, faith brought the dead back to life. Now, let me give you two examples here. Notice first, Elijah. Elijah. 1 Kings chapter number 17. 1 Kings chapter number 17. And look at verse number 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And I want you to look for the uh, pictures of Christ in this story as we read here. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou coming to me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Now many people have speculated as to what verse 18 means when it talks about her sin. Um, the conclusion I think that I have drawn is that this child was probably born out of wedlock. Uh, and so uh, the little boy dies. Again, that's speculation. We don't know that for sure. Look at verse 19. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him uh, out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he, Elijah, uh, cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, 
Hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come in unto him, uh, come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. Uh, Let me give you one more example here. Let's look at Elisha. Elisha would have been uh, the, uh, uh, let's see, uh, not not the processor, predecessor, right? Successor, there's the word, successor uh, to Elijah. So he's the one that Elijah brought in and trained. He was his mentor. And Elijah ascended to heaven in a chariot of fire, and Elisha took up the mantle, and he would uh, carry on the role of uh, of um, prophet to the country. Second Kings chapter number 4, look at verse number 17. Now, the backstory here, real, real, real quick, we're running out of time. Uh, is that Elisha is going back and forth. He's making trips. He's traveling. And there's a woman there who's married. Her and her husband don't have a child. And she's older. She's, uh, to equate it to, and again, this is speculation, but to equate it to the age of a woman today, she's probably early 40s. So she's not completely past her childbearing years, but she's right at the end there. And her and her husband haven't been able to have a baby. And uh, she says to Elisha, Hey, I see you're passing through town a lot. You're the man of God. Why don't you stay in our house? And so her husband, this woman's husband, builds on like a almost like a mother-in-law suite type thing. We'll call it a prophet's chamber. Amen. And this is where the idea of a prophet's chamber comes from, where maybe missionaries would stay at a church. And so they built this for him. And so as he's passing through town, he could stay. So look with me at uh, verse number 17. A uh, little bit more before we read here. He says to the woman, God's going to give you a son. And the woman says, hey, don't lie to me. Don't, don't, don't tell me something that isn't true. And sure enough, nine months later, she has a baby. And so now she has a baby, and so some time passes. Look at verse number 17. The woman conceived and bare a son uh, at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he, the child, went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a, to, to a lad, Carry him, carry the boy to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he, the lad, sat on her knee till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men uh, and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is uh, neither uh, new is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Just let me go. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forth. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So they're trotting on a, on a horse or on a donkey here at full speed. She's, she's riding on the back of a donkey with a servant. Uh, verse 25, So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, uh, his servant, Behold, yonder is the Shunammite, or the Shunammite woman. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, 
is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. So she's down on her feet, hugging his feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire his son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. Go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And so the woman of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child. Uh, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Uh, uh, wherefore, he went again to meet him and took him, saying, The child is not awaked. And when Elisha was come in the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. Notice where the faith is for both Elijah and Elisha. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon the child's eyes and his hands upon the child's hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child, I love the way the story ends here, the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. You go on. You can go on later and read further. But he gives the child back to his mother, and the child has been raised back to life. Wow! What a story. God used both Elijah and Elisha to raise children from the dead. Now, those types of things aren't going to happen today in the era in which we live. Is God capable? Of course God's capable, but that's not uh, the era that we live in today. God doesn't work through those means now. But here is the point I want to make, and I'll finish with this. Faith is a powerful thing. Boy, if faith can bring a child back from the dead, what can faith do for you? You know, Jesus told his disciples this. This is New Testament. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain to be moved into the depths of the sea, and it will be moved. Now, I've never seen a a mountain thrown into the sea. Um, and so was God using hyperbole? Was God, uh, was God using um, uh, some form of exaggeration to make a point? I don't think so. I think what God was saying there is, I can do some miraculous things if I need to do them, but I need your faith to do them. I need your faith to do them. Christian, I would ask you this. Are you walking by faith? You say, Pastor, you've asked that every week for the last X amount of Wednesday nights you've preached. Don't we need to be reminded regularly? We need to walk by faith. We don't need to walk by what's sensible or walk by our sight. Hey, I don't know what it is you need God to come through for you and do, but I know if God can do all these things, whatever's going on in your life is a cakewalk for the Lord. Amen? We need to trust Him. Let's stand together. You'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. And uh, it took us two weeks to get through the first Six points. It took us one week to get to the last four. Amen? And so we're through that. Hey, look, next time we come in and we look at this, we're going we're gonna to look and see that there were folks that had faith in God and God kind of left them out to dry. He didn't come through for them because He chose not to. It wasn't that He couldn't. It was that He chose not to. 
And so, uh, boy, we see the spectacular, but next time, next week we're going to begin looking at some instances where that wasn't God's will. And so here's what I'll just say to you as we close. Faith is not about the results. Faith is about doing what's right because it's right to do right. Let's walk with God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we sure are thankful that you are a God who can. We're glad that you are a God who will, but, Lord, you require our faith to make it happen. Lord, may White Oak Baptist Church be filled with people of faith. Lord, may we have a spiritual maturity about us. And, Lord, may we, um, may we show the world around us that when hardships come our way, uh, where our feet are standing on a rock and we can be solid. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the many, many, many stories in it that can confirm how powerful you are when folks exercise their faith. Help us to go forth and follow those examples. In Jesus' name we pray.